Welcome into Legal Fiction, episode 16, where we do the thing that every popular person ha does in their friend group. Well, we talk way too much about movies and geek out over them. Uh, I'm your host, Joe, joined by my co-host, Spencer. Um, we're both dealing with Halloween hangover and sickness. So how are you feeling, Spence? Like crap, man. Uh, I'll tell you, this is the first legitimate bout of like a heavy cold or touch of flu I've had since pre-COVID. Yeah, like, which like now when you have it, you have to like be like, you have to test and you also have to like tell everyone like, I promise it's negative. It's not dude, COVID. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's like I'm yeah, vaccinated. But, like, please, like I've done all the right stuff. Like I already want to die, right? <laughs> and I don't like, well, and you never want to go to work, but you especially don't when you're sick, but like, oh no, I need to bake in another hour here so I can go drive out to some friggin' foreclosed on mini mall that they've converted into a instant testing site. So I can just wait there in line and get prodded for my nose hole uh, and then go back to work. Then I discover, nope, you're fine. Just keep working there. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, I appreciate though, like maybe this whole like mask culture that we have is like a good thing and we should make, keep it up. Cause yeah, I mean, considering I, like I, other largely industrialized nations have mask cultures, like when it's like flu season and cold season, like they wear masks just cause shit, like not getting the cold. <laughs> yeah, man. And like I said, like. I haven't been sick outside of a hangover through COVID other than having COVID. Like it, it's <laughs> been amazing. And uh, so, yeah, my, uh, my good luck ran out. So, yeah. And that's why I may be a little slow here. I may repeat myself or I may just <laughs> stare out into the abyss. That is uh, the intellectual consistency of uh, one written, uh, Oliver Stone. See there, Marty brain farting. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I'll tell you what, what you should have done is you should have uh, called up, like everyone does when they're sick, you should have called up Joe Rogan. I am somebody who's a critical thinker. I consulted with a now good friend of mine, Joe Rogan, after he got COVID. And I've been doing a lot of the stuff that he recommended. Because I don't know if you saw the uh, just great thesis on um woke culture and you know civil disobedience and critical thinking um that aaron Rodgers gave out but i mean if you had a bingo card for your anti-vaxxer of 2021 like you got a bingo in one viewing of that interview yeah yeah it's uh i'll, I'll tell you what it's a relief to finally have dispositive evidence that Aaron Rodgers is indeed just a jerk. Like, just like, it's like whole family is just screaming. Yeah. Like, yeah, we could have told you that man. I mean, you could have, you, you could have like written off his aloofness as like, uh, Oh, it's really just an anxiety or it's a quirk or it's this or that. Uh, but he's still a warrior poet, blah, blah, blah. Nope. Nope. He's just a kook. He's just a straight up jerk off. I remember, like, back in the day, and I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, I always knew he was an asshole, but I remember, like, back when I was in, like, high school, I saw some, like, 60 Minutes interview with him, and they brought up how he doesn't like when people um, say he's bigger than they thought, and they had, like, video, like, he was signing an autograph, and some guy was like, wow, you're a lot taller than I thought you were, and he's like, and he looks at the guy, and he goes, why would you say that? 
I was like, that's not a mean thing to say. Yeah. Like, you're just being a weirdo, dude. You're just annoyed by it. You are six foot two, which most people would consider pretty tall, but you're sensitive about that. No. <laughs> I'm only sensitive when people tell me that I'm a lot smaller in person than they thought I would be. We saw that happen with you and a guy in Milwaukee. One more time. Folks had won a contest to meet Rogers. You can see how much he's enjoying that. And then a guy just had to say this. You look a little bit uh, smaller than I thought you'd be. I don't appreciate that. Yeah. So, like, that was my first thing. I'm like, that guy seems off. And then more and more just, like, stuff that's happening, obviously, with this. And, you know, I mean, like, um, I guess I should have known with some of his dating history, considering two out of the three of his last partners are, like, seem to be kind of like the healing crystal-type ladies. So. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I, I don't know where I saw this on Twitter, but someone described, <laughs> someone described, like, the combination of, like, crunchy hippie healing crystal lady <laughs> and alpha athletic male as like the perfect combination to maximize oh. stupidity like like when when those when that pairing happens the world will feel their stupidity through so many consequences and <laughs> way to go shailene or whatever your name is you're not a great actress and uh you're gonna cost the packers a uh home field advantage so props. did you see her post where she just destroyed some random guy on the street like there was this post i think it was like you know us weekly or something they were like aaron rogers seen getting coffee um actually wearing a mask and she was like okay all these people are trying to like come after him first off this is clearly not him his feet are a lot bigger his chest is a lot like seeing how this dude is just like a tiny little bitch and is definitely not Aaron Rodgers. Like imagine being that guy and you like are scrolling through Twitter and you're like, Hey, that's me. Okay. Shailene, Jesus Christ. I'm not that fucking ugly. Like, yeah. Damn bro. That's, uh, unnecessary fire. I don't know. It'd be weird to be famous because like you'd have to be mindful of punching down, I guess. Uh, whenever you're yeah. like Twitter beefing, like, you and I are relatively, there's well, not the much more. Aaron Rodgers, you have to be careful to be out of the crosshairs of the woke mob. Exactly. And, and uh, if anything, we form particles within the crosshairs of the woke mob. <laughs> we, it, we, 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 if I were to punch down, I don't know who it would be to possibly to children on Twitter. Maybe. <laughs> no, man. Uh, Gen Z would fuck me up. Oh, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, like, children, children. Just like, <laughs> like, not, like, have formative thoughts, yeah. Like, not teenagers. I'm talking, like, seven-year-olds. <laughs> like, uh, that's the only way I'd be able to punch down. And I, you know what? And they'd probably still beat me at tic-tac-toe, so. Ugh. But, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, fuck Aaron Rodgers. Like, God damn it. Um, Go Lions. <laughs> oh, that's another tough thing to get behind, too. Um. Although you got to respect Jared Goff for just finessing his team, apparently, and getting all that money. Um, speaking of, you know, fuck someone, uh, let's go Brandon. Show's favorite math is Ben plus gun show. Okay, fine. Let's do it. Let's get out of the way. Let's go Brandon! I don't know if you've read more of this, but this is the fucking dumbest, like, pearl-clutching thing I have ever seen, where it's like, just say fuck joe biden i'll say it with you you want to say it together i don't like the guy that much either 
Like, just say it. Yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't, I don't know where this came from because like, I've just been so uh, busy and I, and I looked at one moment, one minute in my phone, my whole Twitter feed was all about this. Let's go Brandon. And I'm like, Oh, this smells like something stupid. I, I'm seeing the wrong people getting upset about this. Uh, yeah, I'm it's it's away. from a NASCAR event, and I don't know the name of the driver other than that his first name is Brandon. Crowd was chanting "fuck Joe Biden," and I think some like a reporter asked him. He's like, "Oh no, they're saying let's go Brandon," which oh well, I, and I don't. I'm I'm assuming he was saying as a joke. Maybe he's not a Joe Biden fan either. Who cares? But like, just say "fuck Joe Biden." I'll say it with you. Like well. At least that's got sort of an organic origin story, if that's to be believed. Better than like some they of the... say it was such a like, hey, I'm getting away with something. I'm like, yeah, just but say fuck Joe Biden, man. Like, stop be being a t- pussy. You know, after four years of the uh, of living within the quote unquote resistance to Trump, like we put up with a lot of really lame liberal padrum. You know, and that's just the thing like, is like this is like the opposite to that. Like this is like the shit. Like this is like remember Trump? Remember that shit? Mm-hmm. Like his name's not Trump, it's Trump, and it's like Kofefe. Yeah, exactly that shit too. And it's like, God damn it, just say fuck Trump or something like that. We've like got a Cheeto in the White House. Yeah, look out! Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Like, uh. Um, but moving on from that, um, I mean, I'm going back to school. I don't know if you are, but the University of Austin is here. Let's um, go. <laughs> it's. Uh, I think someone. Like on Twitter, I saw I looked it up. It's just a house in Austin. Like it's not a not a campus. They're not accredited. They're nope. not uh, giving out degrees. Nope. I don't know what their tuition is, but at this point, it's basically a book club for like pissed off neo libs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the worst opinion havers. It, not even like extreme far left or far right, like people who could be actually construed as dangerous in the classical sense, mm-hmm. but just like the, I mean, Barry Weiss is the perfect mascot for this coalition of shit heels and bootlickers. And uh, I, if that, I mean, this is a grift, right? It's a grift. Like this is a grift. It's gotta be, it's gotta be just to like, you know, get money out of some like pissed off 45 year olds who live in like suburban Naperville who like can't take voting for another, like they say that another Democrat will ruin their city. Like it's gotta be for something like that. Right. Like it can't, this can't be an actual university. Like literally in their FAQ, they say why Austin? And they're like, well, it's good enough for Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. And I'm like, okay, that's maybe if you move here, you'll meet them. And guess what? Spoiler. If you move to Austin, you will never meet Elon Musk. You are not in his tax bracket. You will not come no, to Austin. No. Does he even live in Austin? I thought he already fucking moved back to California. Like, if there's there's going to be one guy who shows up and is going to be like, so when's the class with uh, Elon? Or when's oh. the class with Joe? Yeah. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> the... Uh, it was funny though. It's like the University of Austin. When I first saw that, it just made me think like, like back in the '90s before licensing became kind of mainstream, where there would be quote unquote college football games, and they couldn't say Ohio State University, so they would say like the State University of Ohio, and it's like <laughs> it, it's got a very much uh, unlicensed video game vibe. Uh, oh yeah, this is like a create a school. Yeah, like we're the dynasty long, mode. Yeah, we're the long bulls. Yeah. <laughs> Go UH. Uh 
ATX. Um, yeah. I mean, this is, it's still like the South Harmon Institute of Technology, but like if you're a rich neolib. Hey, you know what? Credit to shit where it's due. All right. They had an actual facility. They actually yeah, no, he had a courses. campus. Yeah, they, they had dorms. Like people paid tuition and uh, they had they, actual professors. Like they had yeah. Lewis Black there yeah. teaching a class. Like, they never. I guess they never broached the topic of accreditation there, but whatever. Like, uh, well, they got um, uh, probationary accreditation. Oh, okay, okay. That's fine. So, I mean, that's fucking better. And like <laughs> another one of the FAQs for Austin was like. You know, it takes like a decade to get accreditation. And they're like, oh, we're going to get it much faster than that. I'm like, sure, sure. I'm sure you will. Oh, God, this thing's going to this thing is going to fizzle beautifully, but quietly. We're never going to know why it fell apart because it's going to be the vanity of some of these just laziest, the laziest of intellectual personalities just passing the buck to one another. And as and soon as one wonder. gets a better gig, they're going to quit caring. Yeah, and I got to wonder, like, because like on the ad there's like university presidents from like other schools and shit that were on this like fucking Former. uh Former. was e gordon gee is he still a president of like west virginia university i saw um his name is just shows up in like the the uh slideshow uh first i just remember him because he's had some weird articles about him not like uh um i guess always been like little controversies which Okay, come come at me. I thought one of his comments was kind of funny. Um, he used to be the president of Ohio State, and uh, he was like talked about basically like how he doesn't like Notre Dame, and he was like those those priests they're holy on Sundays and then they're demons every other day of the week when they want to negotiate with you. And I was like, that's funny. Come on, oh. man, that's just funny. And yeah. it got like he got like raked over the coals for being like anti-Catholic. And I'm like, Oh, fuck off. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's now the president of West Virginia. I saw his name on it. And like, that was one of the things where I'm like, I think he's still the president of West Virginia and uh, West Virginia university. And so I'm like, is this going to be like the, the Theranos of colleges? Like, are we just going to have all these university presidents sign on? And then like years later, be like, Oh yeah. Um, we lost a lot of money on that. But maybe there'll be a, a good documentary about it. So we have that to look forward to. Well, and Joe, I think we should pool our resources and enroll, like between the two of us. Like, I got to look up what is tuition at this place? I don't think they've said it. Oh, well. I think they're in the fundraising phase right now. So you and, name your price school? Well, I know. I mean, they're not even offering anything. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're just asking for money and support and Christ. Yeah, because it's like this summer is just going to be like the, it's like band topics or forbidden <laughs> books i'm like so the best people are going to show up for those lectures yeah. you know what just start a podcast uh <laughs> it's a lot easier folks uh you'd be a lot more successful with it too <laughs> uh man speaking of successful uh moving on to entertainment news the eternals is out i mean no surprise it made a ton of fucking money because it's a marvel movie um but it is the first marvel movie to not have positive reviews and to see some of the marvel fan tribe go into like well you hate it because there's women in it or you hate or, it because it was directed by a woman or you hate it because there's poc and i'm like maybe people just don't like it because it's not good and it's not a very well-known source material 
and you're kind of grasping at straws. Yeah. And I mean, I haven't watched yet because I was turned off by the previews. It looks like mm. shit. And yeah, like, I have, it doesn't look good. I have no emotional attachment to draw me into that. Like the Hulk, Thor, like things that I grew up with as a kid in comics, Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, I can draw that. The Eternals, get the fuck out of here. The only yeah. thing that, the only parallel I can think of that I actually got into was the Guardians of the Galaxy. I didn't, you know, get into that back in the day. Yeah, but that honestly, ended up being like a surprise hit, I think. Yeah, it was a surprise hit. And I think it was the soundtrack that pulled me in. Just True. like all those like- I think there were a lot of people late 70s early 80s songs perfectly used it's just like okay that's awesome i mean shit i think i've got the first soundtrack on vinyl like it, it, it's awesome uh yeah yeah no that, that that one was one that actually like broke through but yeah just seeing like the people being like well it's actually because people aren't ready for a woman director i'm like shut up the movie is just not good yeah yeah uh speaking of stuff that is good though um the braves have won the world series and this isn't really too much of entertainment news, but did you see the video of their championship parade? Uh, so their championship parade, if correct, correct me if I'm wrong, it did go through Atlanta proper, but it was more focused on getting out to Cobb County, which is where the stadium's actually located. Yeah, because right the stadium the is not in like no. Atlanta. Um, no. So most parades, you're going like a max five miles per hour right mm-hmm. you gotta look at this too. they're hitting like 25 30 <laughs> down the parade route like just like we gotta get out of here we gotta go we gotta go All right, like, guys, just... it's, it's it's not safe here in atlanta let's let's get out to the suburbs <laughs> yeah, they're literally being like we don't want to be downtown let's get the fuck out of here so, way like... too many way too many popeyes not enough chick-fil-a this is not safe let's get moving uh so yeah it that was just a hilarious um video um but uh oh actually speaking of guardians of the galaxy um chris pratt is apparently just going to voice every childhood um animated character that i know of because now he's going to be the voice of garfield too yeah i don't think that's a good call um (laughs) and and here's the actually was was it bill it was bill murray was the last um voice Exactly. Was he the voice in the animated series too? No, 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 no. Okay. That was just a that was just a true professional voice actor. Which is another bullshit. I could go down a whole thing where now it's like, let's just get someone recognizable to voice. I'm yeah. like, you don't see them. Like, get someone who's good at voice acting. Uh, it, it's a lost art, and you're right. It's getting phased out because people will go to an art animated movie if they know that Chris Rock is voicing someone. You know, like. But even like with that. Chris Rock, I'm like, okay, he has a recognizable voice. Like, you get some just, like, random, like, you know, insert this Chris here. It's like... Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I, I think Chris Pratt's good at voice work, but he's just not what you see for Garfield. Garfield is a surly, like, cynical, like, semi-downtrodden figure. And Chris Pratt is impossibly out of his range. I'm sorry. Like, well, you Chris, just can't do it. Yeah, Chris Pratt is, like, I mean, he's known for playing, like, the like lovable stupid guy which is not yeah. Garfield and then in his personal life he's this like pretty religious like chiseled very disciplined man and that's again not Garfield so yeah. like I mean he's gonna make I love lasagna into like a cute thing or I hate Mondays <laughs> into a cute thing and I'm like no no Garfield's hatred of Mondays is like Garfield is he's a he's a nihilist. He doesn't exactly. believe in anything. Like, well, I, I don't know about that. Uh, but he only believes in like his self interest. That's yes. all he cares about. 
yeah, he's like a Christian, uh, he's like Kierkegaard, he's like a Christian existentialist, <laughs> where, existentialist, where he's just like, everything is bleak and dark, yes, there is an end, and we should fear it, and everything <laughs> until then is suffering, like, all right. Oh, man, man I gotta, there's some real Curse Garfield memes I should send you that go to that more, but um, moving into the movie that we're talking about this week, um, I don't know if anyone listening saw the news, but um, we had our fingers crossed. JFK and JFK Jr. did not come back to Dealey Plaza, unfortunately, last week. It is almost 12.29. Any minute now, the big reveal. The crowd is big, ready to go. Um, but in that, yeah, in that vein, uh, this week we are reviewing JFK. Dun dun. If I answer that question you keep asking, if I give you the name of the big enchilada, you know, then it's Bon Voyage Dino. I mean, like poignant. I mean, like a bullet in my head. You dig? Does that help you see my problem a little better? Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a flash of light in the bushes, and then shots rang out. No more cloak and dagger stuff, you know. They called it Operation Mongoose. It's gonna be okay, Dave. You just talk to us on the record, and we'll protect you. And I guarantee it. You are so naive. You found us in your office. We think the conference room is also above maybe the phones. I'm not cooperating here. I'm not cooperating here. Listen, there's a death warrant for me. Are the same people gonna kill us, Pop? Nobody's gonna kill us. Y'all gotta get into your minds how the hell the spooks think. Now, they're not ordinary crooks. Think the unthinkable. Question everything. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. You don't believe me? Hmm? All this time, you never believed me. I just want to raise our children and live a normal life. I want my life back. Dude, hey, this thing bigger than all of us. Now, how many courts is it going to take for you lawyers to figure out what you want? People got to know. People got to know why he was killed. Do you know what you've done to me? I'm a dead man! Well, if they can kill the president, they can certainly get me. You're a mouse fighting a gorilla. You're close. You're closer than you think. There's going to be an attempt to kill you somewhere between here and New Orleans. I say let justice be done over heaven's fall. JFK, a 19, is it 91, 92 uh, movie? 91. By, 91. Directed by Oliver Stone, who I have mixed feelings about his movies. Um, it is a very, very long movie. It's about three hours long. It is somewhat legal, I would say. It's more just like political 
espionage intrigue sort of thing. But um, it, uh, it is basically just kind of Oliver Stone financing what he thinks happened in the JFK assassination. It's not even that. It's more about him attacking the idea of what did happen. Okay. Of yeah. what, 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 of, of the official account, which is valid. All right. And yeah. Like, no, I mean, you're, he's allowed to do that. Yeah. Uh, like, like Pew polling has shown that the majority of Americans don't believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, that there was a conspiracy. Yeah. I guarantee you the majority of Americans did not see JFK. Okay. Like, <laughs> Uh, that being said, it was a wildly successful movie at the time. Very uh, successful. I mean, it, it made $205 million on a budget of $40 million. That's a crap ton of money for an Oliver Stone movie, all right? Yeah. And, like, it got plenty of critical applause and plaudits along the way. It's an awesome it movie. It did. It did. It won, I believe, a couple awards, but yes. It won the Academy Award for Best Film Editing and Best Cinematography, but it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Original Score. Yeah. So a lot of, lot, lot of accolades for this movie. Um, but getting into the plot, um, honestly, I thought I was watching the wrong movie when it first started because it starts. Had you like, never seen this before? I had never seen this movie. This is like the Whoa. one. This is like the one Oliver Stone movie I'd never seen. Uh, I watched most of his other stuff, um, <laughs> but because uh, when I was watching, I was like, "Did I click on a documentary instead?" Um, because it opens with like a very long documentary uh, sequence, basically just going into the warning first about the military-industrial complex, which is one of Eisenhower's points in his farewell address that he warned about, um, and then it flows over the different, I would say, basically. Uh, explanations or reasons that Kennedy could have been assassinated, like the different things that he was looking to do, like his involvement with Cuba, his looking at getting out of Vietnam, his looking at negotiating with Russia, his wanting to get rid of the CIA. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, narrated by Martin Sheen, which I thought was cool, that he's just yeah. like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll narrate that, um, which is a guy where on top of our voice actors, immediately I was like, that's Martin Sheen. Like that's he has funny. a very recognizable voice. Um, so it all builds, and I think at that point we see something that's like the Zapruder film, basically like building and building and building until there's like shots and it's like a black screen um, and everything. And we go immediately into our main character, Jim Garrison, who is a real life uh, attorney. Real life piece of shit. <laughs> um, he uh, is the New Orleans DA, played in this movie by Kevin Costner. Uh, they are in a bar where they learn about it. He's like, it's such a sad day to be an American. There's also people in the bar that are like, good, like, fuck that guy. I'm glad he's dead. Uh, so there's, they're trying to play up like the whole, like, you know, there was differing reactions to it. But for the majority, it was a very sad day, obviously, when JFK was assassinated. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> they, uh, I don't know exactly, and maybe you can refresh my memory on this. I watched this a couple of days ago. Uh, how initially they learn about the conspiracy. Sure, but... sure. Uh, so, uh, and I apologize, dear listener. I've been watching this movie in the midst of a fever dream the last two days while sick, but I've seen it a number of times. So I think I can uh, fill in some of the spots. So word gets out uh, that there was a Lee Harvey Oswald connection to New Orleans shortly yeah. after the assassination. So, 
Jim Garrison, played by one excellent Kevin Costner. I mean, this is him at his peak, baby. Uh, this is re- right after Dances with Wolves, so he was like right in high. Mm-hmm. And so he gathers the the local, similarly non-corrupt uh, prosecutors of the New Orleans <laughs> Parish, and they decide to, you know, chase down leads. And they figure, yeah, there's a local guy here. Um, you know, he's like quasi-military, kind of a weirdo. He's got some ties. and you know, Like they, the Civil Air Patrol? Right? Exactly. Yep, yep. And played by uh, Joe Pesci. Uh, Joe Pesci. Yep. Which at first I was like, man, this guy, I was like, that wig does not look good on him. And I looked up, I'm like, oh, it's because the guy wore a hairpiece. Okay. Yeah, because he had cancer. Uh, yeah. And yeah, uh, bring him in and, you know. Hey, we've heard uh, you went to Texas on the weekend, you know, the, around the assassination. Oh, no. Well, you know, we uh, we wanted to go ice skating in Houston. And, you know, his story seems uncredible, but they just kind of moved past it. Uh, they detain him. Then the feds jump cut to the feds having a press conference being like, nope, this guy has nothing to do with the assassination. Uh, and I'd just like to remind the public that the FBI did not detain this man. That was all the local prosecutor's office. And then uh, people get sad. And then we fast forward three years, really. Well, there's also like a scene with um, Guy Bannister and Jack Martin, who are some other people in the JFK uh, web. I won't get into it because honestly, at the end of the day, I was like, they don't really play that much into the plot once the movie is down at the end, because I think they, they died actually in real life before it all ended but guy banister is like a a new orleans cop and then pi who's like claimed to also have ties to it and like one guy like questions him on it and he just beats the shit out of him yeah he just beats the shit out of jack lemon which is like god god like that should be a ed Ed asner just beating the shit out of jack lemon which is like i mean god i can't think of like a cooler combination like uh (laughs) And also, it should be a federal offense to take a swipe at Jack Lemon, the man, <laughs> national treasure. Uh, he's sweet, he's charming, and he's and he's funny. And uh, but he's a rather diminutive fellow. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, and that's setting up the fact that you know this conspiracy, you know, may center out of New Orleans. And you know, uh, not to jump ahead here, but there are any number of about a dozen schools of thought on why yeah. kennedy was killed and about half of them involved new orleans i mean dude. yeah uh, and then also in case you don't know um it jumps forward but obviously that means that lee harvey oswald is dead because he was shot and killed by jack ruby um who plays in the whole thing because they're like maybe then there's like later scenes where he might have already known lee and maybe he was involved with it the whole time i was just laughing because I loved how Jack Ruby was played by Brian Doyle Brian Murray. Doyle Murphy. <laughs> it was just, just Bill Murray's brother. It's just like, I can't picture him in like a non-comedic role just coming out and being like, hey, Lee, and then just shooting yeah, him in the gut. Former like, cop turned like New Orleans underworld set demi-boss slash yeah. nightclub owner slash bookie. Like, yeah, Brian Doyle Murray, you know, the, I mean, the head caddy from Caddyshack. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, like you said, it it fast forwards from 1963 to 1966. Um, the Warren Report, which is like the official report on the JFK assassination, has been released. And uh, Garrison reads it and he's like, there's stuff in here that's not right. Because he remembers his talk with um, 
David Ferry, who's Joe Pesci, the um, their alleged co-conspirator, and there's like there's stuff that doesn't match up here. So he starts doing his own investigation with his staff. Um, they start interrogating uh, eyewitnesses to the assassination. They start interrogating everyone they can in New Orleans who has some sort of connection to this. They do a whole rundown because they basically are like, there's no way that Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone actor in this. They're like, there's... Yes. When he's arrested, Marina buries him with the public. Her description of him is that of a psychotic and violent man. I have too much facts, and facts tell me that Lee shot Kennedy. After they kept her locked away for two months, surrounded by federal people, and fearing she'd be deported back to Russia, right? The poor woman was probably suffering from nervous exhaustion. They taught her how to answer. And when they think she's ready, they buy new dresses, polish her appearance, and wheel her out on cue. I would like to thank the Warren Commission. Now, Oswald was no angel, that's clear. But who was he? I'm lost, boss. What are we saying here? We're saying that when Oswald went to Russia, he was not a real defector. That he was an intelligence agent on some kind of mission for our government and remained one till the day he died. That's what we're saying. Therefore, because Oswald pulled the trigger, the intelligence community murdered their own commander-in-chief? Is that what you're saying? I'll go you one better, Bill. Maybe Oswald didn't even pull the trigger. Nitrate tests indicate he hadn't even fired a rifle on November 22nd. And on top of that, they didn't even bother to see if the rifle had been fired that day. He had his palm print on the weapon. Well, it went to the FBI, Bill. The FBI didn't find a goddamn thing. It comes back a week later, and one guy in the Dallas Police Department suddenly finds a palm print. For all we know, it could have been taken off Oswald in the morgue. There's no chain of evidence. I never could figure out why this guy orders a traceable weapon to this post office box when he goes into any store in Texas, give a phony name, and walk out with a rifle which can never be traced. To frame him, obviously. There's a lot of smoke there. But there's some fire. We're talking about our government here. No, we're talking about a crime, Bill, pure and simple. Y'all got to start thinking on a different level, like the CIA does. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. Just maybe Oswald is exactly what he said he was, a patsy. They bring up how he wasn't a good shot, which I've heard conflicting reports that he wasn't a good shot. And then some people are like, no, his Marine records show that he actually was a really good shot. I don't, I, at this point, I don't even know. But according uh, to Walter Matthau, he had Maggie's draws. It means he was no good at shooting, uh, which is a lovely phrase. Uh, but, but more, all right, now, you know, this movie's going to devolve, or this pod's going to devolve at several times to us talking about the plausibility of this, of, of this assassination. But you know what? It's right. Uh, FBI marksmen and experts were brought in by the Warren Commission to repeat what yeah, like the, the three Oswald shots within like was it five like seconds, five seconds, five seconds yeah. with like the shittiest bolt action rifle like made but like it was like bought from like a Coles catalog, wasn't it, or like a yeah, Jason Penny catalog? Uh, uh, effectively, so yeah. yeah, and like got them off through foliage on a moving target at a over like a hundred yards away. Like it's like yeah. You're telling me that all of that damage, especially that headshot, uh, kill shot, were from, yeah, it's just, no. So, yeah, and then one of the uh, people that they get in contact with is William O'Keefe, played by Kevin Bacon. Uh, He's a male prostitute, um, active 
at least not now because he's in prison, but was active in the New Orleans gay scene. Um, and he claims that he went to parties where he met David Ferry, Joe Pesci's character, uh, and that he was talking about a, a coup d'etat. He was talking about overthrowing the government, taking out Kennedy. Um, he and said that was he there? was hired by uh, a man named, known as Clay Bertrand, uh, who is another big – and his, his, his remembering is another big player in both New Orleans and this assassination. I want to thank you, Mr. O'Keefe, for this time. Yeah, I ain't got nothing but time, Mr. Galson. Minutes, hours, days, years of them. Time just stands still here like a snake, sun itself on the road. Clay Bertrand, Willie. Yeah, Clay. I met him uh, sometime in uh, June of 62. The masquerade bar. Dave Ferry took me there for the express reason to meet him. Sexual purposes. Well, yeah. Did he pay you for this? $20 each time. Hell, ain't no secret. That's what I'm in here for. Anything else unusual about him you'd be able to describe in a court of law? I remember he had some kind of thing wrong with his leg. Limp. You know, don't get me wrong, he's not one of those limp wrists. He's a butch John. I mean, you meet him on the street, you never snap. You can play poker with him, go fishing with him, man. You never snap in a million years. One night we was over at Dave Ferry's place having a party. That was uh, sometime late in the summer of 63. There was about uh, nine or ten people there. Cuban. You know, friends of Dave's been doing some stuff in the bush with him. Place is a mess, man. Dave's mind is a mess. There's all these mice cages all over because he's working on this cure for cancer. Dave's smart, though. He's sharp. Speaks five languages. He knows uh, philosophy, medicine, military history, politics. He said he wanted to be a priest, but uh, they defrocked him because he was queer. And that's where you met Oswald for the first time. Yeah, strange guy. Plot. Um, I was trying to piece together why they want him dead and from my research uh david ferry at least considered himself a democrat and considered himself a liberal but considered him staunchly anti-castro and anti-communist yeah and that's and uh, been he, a weird divide in american yeah. politics and he thought that kennedy was too soft on castro and the communists um there was one scene, I think it might have been with Ed Asner's character, where I wrote down in my notes because he was like, uh, he was like, oh yeah, let's let's cry for Kennedy, but let's not cry for all those people he left on the beach at the Bay of Pigs. And I was like, okay, kind of a base take there. And then he's like, this is what happens when you let black people vote. And I was like, never mind, never mind. <laughs> uh, so like, it was weird because I was like, they said that it's like a conspiracy by. Um, David Ferry, Clay Bertrand, anti-Castro exiles, and right-wing activists. And I was like, so well, right-wing and, and Democrats. And I was like, I, I can't make sense of this right now. My, okay. Uh, all right. Let's save making sense of the conspiracy for the end. Of the sure. Movie. Sure. I mean, we're, we could struggle with every like little development date, but how does that relate to that? Like, I mean, I've got yeah. a unifying theory on this, but keep going. Uh, oh, and Clay Bertrand, I should also uh, say, was, I can't remember if this was honestly before or after um, they met with William O'Keefe, but he's also hinted at by um, John Candy's character in this movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Dean Andrews. Dean Andrews was his name. 
and he just plays him like such a cool he's always wearing his sunglasses he's like come on daddy like always like daddy oh hey daddy oh i mean like he's like a reformed beatnik and he's like a clearly like ambulance chaser attorney new orleans like I just the bottom rung of law, but like cool about it. Um, yeah. And, and he basically claimed that he was called by someone calling themselves Clay Bertrand to see if he would represent uh, Lee Harvey Oswald yeah. in defense. Uh, in real life, he later said that he didn't do it. And then he got that he actually wasn't called. And it was all figment of his imagination because he was in the hospital. So, and he said he specifically tells Kevin Costner's character, I will not testify about this because I will get killed. Like if I do anything with this, mm-hmm. um, they uh, like you said they also test out how the FBI uh, tested out the shots. We actually have a scene then where Kevin Costner and one of his assistant DAs test out the shots as well, and he says, "Yeah, there's no way you could have made these shots. The leaves would have still been on the trees, so he wouldn't have been able to see them through it. There had to have been someone over the, as we all know now, the famous grassy knoll." Uh, mm-hmm. with the fences that could have shot, could have ran to the train yard to use the trains as cover to get away. And as a matter of official record, there were individuals witnessed congregating there. There was the sound of gunfire reported from there, as well yep. as smoke spotted, as well as an individual detained briefly, but then he just didn't look like the right kind of uh, perp and then released. So, yeah, yeah, it was definitely just Lee Harvey, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, um we have uh, just a whole array of just faces in this movie that are just really high profile um, actors. Um, one of the montages we have is by Lori Metcalf, um, famous obviously for Roseanne, was also in um, Lady Bird as the mother. Uh, uh, where she goes. One of the chief murderers in Scream 2. Uh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, she uh, She goes through her whole thing about how. There's no way that Lee did this by himself. Um, so they uh, they conclude that he was too poor of a marksman himself, and also that there was what they start calling the magic bullet because of the way that Kennedy and I, pardon me, I'm forgetting his name, but the I think it was the governor of Texas, yeah, or mayor of Dallas. Yeah. Um, uh, governor is it governor it's not mcgovern no it's not mcgovern uh was sitting in front of him and somehow the bullet would have had to curve to the left and then back to the right and then hit through the governor and then curve back again to come out of his wrist so again i don't remember too much about i've seen like reports that actually it was a specially made car where the, the sheet was shifted and i don't know i can't get too much into that but they um, they keep going through this. At the same time, uh, it's starting to have a toll on uh, Kevin Costner, Garrison in this uh, role, his home life. People are calling his house and threatening his family. Mm-hmm. Um, he missed Easter dinner. Yeah, he's know? a workaholic. Uh, he he keeps missing stuff. For his- and a fuckaholic. He's got like 10 kids, like between the ages of zero and six. Like, yeah. it's just like the mom, like, I'm sorry, like Sissy Spacek, who doesn't get enough play in this movie. In fact, actually, he's written very poorly. Uh, like she, yeah, she didn't him. get enough. No, she lectures him after blowing off Easter dinner, where she took like ten children. Yeah. I was like, dude, I get of, it. That would suck. Under the age of six, to a restaurant. I, you know what? If I'm the owner or patron of that restaurant that day, I would also show up to his front door and be like, "Sir, what the hell? Like, that's awful." 
Do you know how many Shirley temples we had to make to like keep those kids <laughs> fucking quiet? Like just awful stuff. But yeah, I know it, things are, you know, pressures mounting on the home front uh, yes. as well as from the local scene, the, the pressure from the powers that be is like filtering down onto this one lone truth seekers office. And what is he going to do about it? Which, uh, mentioned how you mentioned that this is at Easter at this point where it all kind of comes to a head with his wife. This whole movie takes place in New Orleans, and of the movies that we've watched, this was like the least New Orleans vibe I got from any of the movies. It doesn't really make like disagree. I, Runaway Jury, I knew that I was in New Orleans, and like I'm like this one has like one Mardi Gras scene, and then other than that, I'm like they could just be anywhere in the South. Like there was nothing that seemed like that like gave me like a Nola vibe. This New Orleans was much more authentic to me than the Pelican Brief. Oh, yeah, I guess you okay. could say that. But yeah, I mean, no, and I agree with you. Uh, but yeah, the movies were telling the stories from different states and different levels. I mean, yeah, they go to they go to Dallas in it, obviously too. Yeah, and and, and I mean, yeah, but uh, this is our actually, yeah, our third New Orleans movie here, and we've, we've had a lot of Nola. <laughs> yeah, well, it must have a great tax like credit structure there. Uh, <laughs> Or you just want an excuse to have really, a uh, really fun city to shoot in, which I'm guessing is probably what it is. So. Yeah. So he then gets a lead on who this Clay Bertrand is. Um, it is Clay Shaw. Uh, at least he believes that it's Clay Shaw, played by Tommy Lee Jones. Which Tommy Lee is so good in this movie. I love. Like, I I he just. He rules in like every movie that he's in. Like I love Tommy Lee Jones. But he's buttoned up in this one, like because he, he, he's playing the. I mean, I mean, so he's a gay man about town, perennial bachelor, bachelor, and titan of industry. Like he created like an international trade outpost in New Orleans, like yep. from whole cloth. Like so, it's like yeah, I, I, I'm running international trade out of New Orleans. And yeah, I happen to be gay, which back then obviously was a problem, even criminal at times. Was it? Uh, yeah, was it like known that he was gay, or was it just like, oh, he's uh, a he's a wink, wink, perennial bachelor? That's well, you know, we we have that term. Uh, we had that term at the same time period in my home state. We'd call that a Norwegian bachelor, you know, <laughs> and just like, ah, oh yeah, you know, you know, and no one yeah. cared. Like, yeah, no, it's like those terms. Everyone like, kind of knows, know. but like no one says because of like some of the laws at that time that you know. Yeah, ex exactly. Like everyone, like the decent society would just like. I mean, you suspect something and you even think it, but like, like at the end of the day, like, well, it doesn't really matter. So. Uh. So yeah, the. Uh, he he, uh, believes that it's him. Um. So he actually brings him in and like questions him. And he's just like, what is this all about? Like, are you accusing me of killing the president? And uh, they keep questioning. They don't really have much that they can hold him on, so they let him go. Um, it starts to get more and more heightened. Um, there's this uh, cool scene that I like where Pesci comes in, and he's just like, they're after me. They're going to kill me. And he just goes yeah. on, like, this whole, like, neurotic, like, rant about, like, I wanted to be a priest, but they defrocked me. And... Like this person, like you can tell that he's just losing it. And it, Bro Pesci, like obviously you don't have to say it. he's awesome. Like he's just great in every role that he does. Yeah, and and, and this movie is shot at a frenetic pace. Um, yeah, it's Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone doesn't know anything except to ex like push the true. accelerator. Oh no, uh, dude! Well, and every movie I, I watch them, he he knows how to press the accelerator, and I should say he knows how to like 
scream and then it's just like a dead stop and then it's a scream forward again well but compare this to platoon like platoon is a very straightforward story there's no frenetic editing or shooting like there's no drug sequences there's no flashbacks there's no drug sequences in platoon well there are (laughs) that's kind of a big part of the movie man well not lsd though there's no like (laughs) like hallucinations no, and I mean it's, it's just it's, it's just, basically it's, weed. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's Willem Dafoe like on a on on a hammock like eating a banana like winking at Charlie Sheen like that's the extent of how devious it gets. I mean, but yeah, I mean he that became his his style or aesthetic. Sure, sort of like the jump cuts, uh, flashbacks. Like we'll use different colored lenses uh, to indicate different times. Uh, we'll play. Yeah, and the, I don't mean necessarily like the different lenses or stuff. I just mean like I feel like he either is like just throwing up dialogue and like exposition on you or it's like moving at a like nothing like it's like a standstill in terms and like because sometimes i'll be like there's a lot of characters and a lot of stuff happening i don't know what's going on then i'll be like okay now nothing's happening (laughs) but no but that's actually sort of the joy of this movie is like the the modern day takes place in a very sort of stable and slow deliberate pace but then like when it comes time for exposition like we need to talk to this witness about x and then suddenly it's like oh fuck camera's a little shaking going back to black and white like oh yeah i was doing this and then we were doing that and then they're fucking and then like we're, there was some gay sex and then there was drinking and then everyone's doing poppers and then everyone's talking about killing kennedy and like it's yeah. like it's like a really fun like delivery mechanism for crazy and like it just works. Uh, I, I, I think it's a. I mean, it's played out at this point, but at the time it was groundbreaking. True. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, so he goes through a rant. Um, he uh, is saying how basically like them like bringing the heat onto them is he's going to end up dead. Which spoiler alert, he does. He gets killed. Well, he writes a suicide no, he, note. Uh, and overdoses on his medicine. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think they're like, even uh, I looked up like in the uh, real life, like they interviewed Garrison and like he basically said, yeah, that's probably bullshit. Um, but uh, he then meets just a unnamed um, high level figure who's just X. It's, it, it's, yes. And it's the best scene in the movie. Like if, if you watch only one scene in the movie, watch this one. It's awesome. Yeah, and X is uh, something in the military. He doesn't really say. Just a high-level government official, specifically in the military. Played by uh, Donald Sutherland. Played by Donald Sutherland, who is another just uh, really, really talented actor. Um, and he says how this isn't just like a little tiny conspiracy by like you know a couple, you know guys down the street this is like to the highest levels of the government like in terms of conspiracy he's like the cia is in on this the mob wanted to take him out uh even lbj wanted to take him out too yeah or if it was if he didn't want to take him out he was like i know about it and i don't care or Uh, he's given the green light like well if this happened uh i could give you vietnam yeah so uh he and he says that the reason that they set all this up was because he wanted to pull America out of Vietnam and he wanted to dismantle the CIA. Um, and he's like, would you testify? And he's like, no, dude. <laughs> Why would I ever testify? Like, I would be dead in a day. So, uh, but he's like, just keep digging, um, you know, keep working at it. 
Yeah. What am I, I mean, uh, a staple of expository movies is the park bench meme. Like whether it be, <laughs> like, whether it be in Central Park or on the mall in DC or somewhere else, like it, it's like, whether it's a reporting movie or a police movie that always happens, this is by far the best park bench scene made because it literally like sews together in fragments, like an actual ethos uh, on like, how these things happen uh, and like how all of these institutions interrelate yet at the same time, it's illusory because it provides no actual connective factual tissue to line any of it up. It just, you know, it, yeah, like I said, it's an ethos. It's interesting. And it's just cut really cool. And the music kicks ass while it does it like the scoring with this like really frenetic, like, like, I mean, it just like it, it pulsates and it drives. It, it's excellent movie making. Yeah, so at the point now where he has interrogated Clay Bertrand, or Clay Shaw, who he says is Clay Bertrand, played by Tommy Lee Jones, um, he basically, since uh, since he is such a well-known man in town, he basically was like, all right, I'll leak it to the press. So he leaks it, and all these reporters are now rushing the DA's office. They're questioning uh, Costner on, like, why he spent so much money on this press, on this investigation. $7,000, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's 19, you know, what, 66 at this, or 1968, I think, at this point, even. So he's like, you know, he spent all this money, um, and uh, it starts, the tension really starts to build because uh, two of his DAs just storm out. Um, the the two big ones who've been helping him basically on the whole thing are like fuck this like you won't listen to anyone like we don't have anything I'm out of here. Um, his wife goes off on him and says you're this is like it's destroying your family life. You won't take no for an answer. You're and she says you're really just only going after Shaw because he's a homosexual. And mm -hmm. he's just like oh come on that's crazy. Um, there's newspaper attack ads. There's TV attack ads. Um, and it also starts to scare uh, witnesses into not testifying. They have multiple witnesses just come to him and be like, nope, not going to testify anymore, um, including Perry, who, like we've already mentioned, is, you know, has a suicide and conspicuous sort of uh, uh, circumstances uh, right around the time that he's, you know, supposed to, uh, supposed to testify. He does say, he's like, yes, there was a conspiracy, but then he ends up dead. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, th there's this whole rigmarole where like Ridley Scott just rolls around in the like various tangents and facts of why the, uh, you know, why the lone gunman theory doesn't make sense. And then mm -hmm. like after just like chewing on that for a while, it's like and we're just going to prosecute. Tommy Lee Jones's character, Clay Shaw, uh, for conspiracy to commit murder, just like boom like uh, all right all right uh yeah and i mean it, it it did really happen in real life like they did try did. To, to you know prosecute him so maybe that is how it actually happened but that was one of the things where i was just like huh i don't i don't really see how we got to like there's all this all this build up that didn't really connect and now all of a sudden it's just like and we're gonna file him for a conspiracy to assassinate the president of the united states yeah. well, uh, and, and, and like the i'm gonna get the legal part of this legal podcast out of the way here <laughs> his prosecution is, is that okay this well-established business and social character of clay bertrand is at the center of a not the center but a part of a conspiracy to kill kennedy and how do we link that well we link 
a bunch of like prisoners and drug addicts uh, who were there at parties and things to connect Clay to David Ferry and to others who were, we could also put in Dallas at the time of the assassination. And what's the motive? Well, uh, because uh, Kennedy was anti-Cuban and also here's all the many ways that the, uh, you know, the actual official explanation of the assassination doesn't make sense. And here's all of the vested interests of why, you know, the deep state in modern colloquialism would want Kennedy dead. But someday, somewhere, someone may find out the damn truth. We better, we better, we might just as well build ourselves another government, like the Declaration of Independence says to when the old one ain't working, just, just a little farther out west. American naturalist wrote, a patriot must always be ready to defend his country against its government. I'd hate to be in your shoes today. You have a lot to think about. You've seen much hidden evidence the American public has never seen. You know, going back to when we were children, I think that most of us in this courtroom thought that justice came into being automatically, that virtue was its own reward, that that good would triumph over evil. But as we get older, we know this just isn't true. Individual human beings have to create justice, and this is not easy, because the truth often poses a threat to power, and one often has to fight power at great risk to themselves. People like S.M. Holland, Lee Bowers, Gene Hill, Willie O'Keefe, have all taken that risk. They've all come forward. I have here some $8,000 in these letters sent, sent to my office from all over the country. Quarters, dimes, dollar bills from housewives, plumbers, car salesmen, teachers, invalids. These are people who cannot afford to send money, but do. These are the ones who drive the cabs, who nurse in the hospitals, who see their kids go to Vietnam. Why? Because they care because they want to know the truth, because they want the country back, because it still belongs to us, as long as the people have the guts to fight for what they believe in. The truth is the most important value we have, because if the truth does not endure, if the government murders truth, if, it, if we cannot respect the hearts of these people, then this is not the country in which I was born in, and it's certainly not the country that I want to die in. Tennyson wrote, authority forgets a dying king. This was never more true than for John F. Kennedy, whose murder was probably one of the most terrible moments in the history of our country. You, the people, the jury system sitting in judgment on Clay Shaw, represent the hope of humanity against government power. In discharging your duty, and bringing the first conviction in this house of cards against Clay Shaw, that's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Do not forget your dying king. Show this world that this is still a government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Nothing as long as you live 
will ever be more important. It's up to you. And, and, yeah. and that's it. That's his, that's his legal case is like, I've got a couple of like deadbeat witnesses being like, yeah, we parted with him and he, yeah, 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 I mean, really, the only witness he has left is Kevin Bacon, who's just yeah. like, yeah, and they and they attack him. They're like, "Well, you're a prostitute, so you have reason to lie." Basically, is like the defense saying, "Oh, he's and uh, so they like discredited him, like be, for being a uh, not honest individual." But that's kind of some of the problems I had with this ending uh, sequence of the movie was it didn't seem like a trial; it just seemed like. Kevin Costner ranting to a jury about how like there's a conspiracy and these are all the reasons that Kennedy would be assassinated. I'm like, but how does it connect to that guy right there? So, well, that might, that might, uh, your concern there might speak to the fact that apparently the jury out was out for like less than an hour. Yeah. They're just like, no, like, they acquitted him on everything. It's like, yeah, the, he didn't now you've shown us nothing to show that he killed Kennedy. Sorry. <laughs> Yes. So, and that's basically right away at the end of the movie. Um, he he gets acquitted. He comes out. They ask um, uh, Kevin Costner, like, so are you going to stop being DA after this, like, defeat? And he's like, no, I think I'm going to run again, um, which, spoiler, he did. He was the DA for many more years after that. Um, but it has, like, a little post-credits, uh, not post-credits, but little uh, uh, text at the end that Shaw died of uh, lung cancer like five years later. Um, Richard Helms, I can't remember who he is, testified that Clay Shaw had been a part-time contact for the CIA. Um, and it does let us know that in eight years now, and this obviously this was released in 1991, that the full records for the Kennedy assassination will be released. Just that long is, enough for all those bastards to die off. That is, unless... Joe Biden really needs to win some points. Maybe he'll release it earlier. Mm. But uh, that's that's the end of the movie. Um, the you kind of already mentioned the legal points. Um, the trial at the end, just I, I don't know. Maybe that was what the trial was like, and they're just like, dude, you're just ranting at this point. Like you're not like implicating anyone. I think it was. I but, think it was. Like, but I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like those parts, I'm like. Okay, this is the close. He's making his final argument to the jury here, and then it would go back to like interviewing witnesses. I was like, okay. I was like, and now he's presenting evidence, but now he's just he's just ranting again. I was like, what's going on here? So that was. Um, I mean, he's a DA, so he obviously has some sort of legal knowledge, but maybe he was just a guy just completely blinded by this. Yeah, and uh, you know, Ridley or sorry, not. Scott, excuse me. Oliver Stone has never really struck me as someone who's interested in a story about a true believer, which is how he characterizes, you know, Kevin Costner's character, yeah. the protagonist of this movie. Uh, uh, he seldom does that. Uh, I mean, like his narrative view doesn't see things that way. Uh, I think the import of this movie and what he's doing is not about present trying to put the Kennedy assassination on trial. But I think what it's really about is injecting all of these potential conspiracy theories or talking points on like why a conspiracy could have occurred in any number of ways. Like here are all these vested interests in why at that time of why Kennedy should be killed. And here's all of the facts of why this assassination doesn't line up. And let's just cut that together and make it look really cool and point out that we're all being lied to in one way or another about the official version and the point but 
But then when you ask why, to quote General X or Colonel X, whatever he is, Donald Sutherland, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? The why, you know, the who and the what and the when and the where, that's all, you know, that's all, uh, that's all child's play for the why. And that's what this is. It's like a meditation by Oliver Stone to try to like get to that. And I don't think he does other than there are institutional actors and they assert pressure in their own interests in several ways. And then absurd or extreme results occur, which is, you know, the president of the United States gets his head blown off in the opposite direction of the official account. Back and to the left. Back and to the left, baby. And to the left. Um, so yeah, uh, I, yeah, that was all I really had for legal points. Um, so getting into our thoughts on the movie, I'm actually gonna, I have some production notes written down, which I know I know we normally do after. I want to mention some of them here because it kind of goes into some of my feelings on the movie. So like we mentioned, this was a real life story. This was Jim Garrison was a real life guy. He was the New Orleans DA. He did do all this uh, investigation with his district attorney's office. He did actually file charges against uh, Clay Shaw. He, you know, he did do all these things. Um, so he wrote this book that this is based on, and Oliver Stone paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars of his own money to buy the rights to this movie. Like it wasn't a production That's company. Huge. It wasn't a studio that like was like, "That's huge." We'll buy it and we'll find someone to make it. He was like, "I want to make this story," so he bought it himself. Um, the original screenplay was 550 pages long. And if it would have been filmed, it would have been four and a half hours. Yeah, that's an Aaron Sorkin screenplay. Like, God damn, man. Uh, it eventually had to get cut down to, a, to give context, it had to get cut down to 156 pages just to be the three hour long movie. Um, so uh, it, it really felt to me like this was him just financing his like rant um against the government and like his feelings and you kind of already mentioned that but like it was really him just financing and he can do it because he's oliver stone of like this is what actually goes on in america this is like the shit that actually goes on behind closed doors uh and i'm gonna say everything i want to say about it um but uh you know, I mean, cool. Uh, I like that. Uh, but does this movie pass the bar for you, first I'll ask, and what is your score for it? Yeah, it clears the bar. This is an expertly made movie. Like, it, like production value and the acting, like, just the, the personnel involved is top-notch. Uh, yeah, it's a bit squirrely, sure. It, it lacks a cohesive, like, theory of what actually did kill Kennedy, uh, or at least a, a, a rational one, but that's not, the, that's not the point. So like, and the law stuff, yeah, it's, it, it's really flimsy. Uh, but I'll, I, nonetheless, it, I'm giving it an 85, Joe. All right. 85 from Spencer. Put her in the spreadsheet. Put her in the spreadsheet. Uh, so, you might not like me. Um, this movie passes the bar. I'll say that for me. Start off with that. This movie passes the bar. Um, I was really conflicted when I was watching this movie because everything I, I the coming at it like and I hate to view a movie like this, but like when he was like saying how like the government is fucked up and the government does, I was like, I agree, I agree, I agree with a lot of these points, Oliver. Um and like you mentioned, the actors, like if I were to give that like 
just for the actors, this movie would be like a 95 out of 100 because of like all the acting talent and how well they all play their parts in it. Um, the screenplay, I would probably give like a 78 out of 100 um, because I like it, but I was like, to me, watching this movie is like when you go to a bar with a friend who's way drunker than you are and you all agree on points okay. like you you agree a lot with each other but they just want to keep ranting and you're like you've made your point i agree with you i don't need to see any more about this maybe there's a game on and you're trying to watch that instead and they want to keep talking about some point that you feel you've hashed out and agree on so the direction is what really brought this movie down for me and wow. i think that's just a personal feeling that i have towards oliver stone where a lot of his movies are just too frenetic and too oddly paced um I, and i enjoy his movies um like platoon i think is an awesome movie born on the fourth of july not as good but oh, still it sucks good. it sucks i, I um, hate fourth of july so no, it's uh, terrible. natural born killers i don't like i don't think that's a very good movie uh, I don't either. Uh, but overall, I'm going to give this movie a straight 70 out of 100. You bastard. And okay. that's better than I initially was going to give it. Because, like I said, this is just like a... This is when someone really rich just gets to make a huge passion project of their own. And again, I agree with basically everything he's saying in this movie. But I was at the same time, I was like... I feel like you're going so fast and you want to pack so much stuff in that then when we get to the resolution part, it doesn't all cohesively connect. And maybe that's, again, just a reflection of what actually happened in real life. Maybe it was just like Garrison did all this research and then was just like, what do we do now? Uh, let's arrest that guy uh, sort of thing. And maybe that, maybe that is, maybe, maybe I need to do more research on it, but it was just something that I was just like, you've made your point. Okay, you actually got six more points to make. Okay, my bad. You got to keep talking. All right. I think the fact that it is based in reality and that the facts of the case, if you will, for the movie are based in reality and that he was able to turn it into thematically a much more interesting and moving piece as opposed to some kind of just sort of crackpot, corrupt DA in New Orleans like deciding to prosecute a local homosexual I think that's a credit to his filmmaking and as a director uh he, he saw this as a as a template to be able to you know uh engage in a greater critique of everything and also challenge what you know like you know blah 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 it's bullshit but like uh i don't know like especially in the early 90s like no one's making movies like this like that's a movie where you like walk out of it and you're like Oof. oh no i mean all of like, like, like you're, you're I, like blowing your hair back like that, that, that movie will knock you on, this movie will knock you on your ass even in the current day. Like, and I, I, so. I'll say, I respect Oliver Stone for like, I have a message in my movies and you're going to know what it is. But it's not going to be in like a, it is kind of, I should say, in a bash you over the head sort of way, but it's a much more balanced and like artistic take on that rather than it just being like a pure like documentary, like propaganda like piece. And he, sure. he's good about that. And and like you mentioned, he's not afraid to make movies that have certain messages in, in it. I mean, just go over it. JFK, obviously, goes against everything that the Warren Commission report said. 
popcorn on the 4th of July is essentially a huge anti-war movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Platoon is a huge anti-war movie. Natural Born Killers says a, you know, a lot about media, culture, media culture, yeah. yeah. Um, he made, uh, uh, what I think it was just called Snowden movie, which actually wasn't the best, but it was, it was not. <laughs> but I mean, he's like one of the people who's like, no, I, I support Snowden before, like, you know, you could say it was cool to support Snowden sort of thing. Um, so I, I, I do respect him for that. But again, I just thought it was like, he's someone, at least for me, maybe it was a personal thing. I was like, you've made your point. Um, I want to see more where this plot goes. And he's like, but I got six more points that I need to make before I can fully make my thesis. I'm like, okay, all right, keep going then. So, uh, but yeah, some more production notes. I wanted to get your take on this because we've done this for a couple movies. Um, these were some potential actors that could have been in this movie. And I want to see if this would uh, improve or take away from your score that you gave it or just your overall feelings. Let's go. So uh, Mr. X, played by Donald Sutherland in the movie, potentially was going to be played by Marlon Brando. No. (laughs) Would have overwhelmed it. Would have overwhelmed the scene. Oh, fuck, that's Marlon Brando. No, terrible decision. Terrible decision. I just wonder what would have happened because this is 1991. So, like, Marlon Brando is in, like, the last stages of his career, right, at this point? Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's when, like, that's when, like, you had, like, I, I don't I remember exactly when Apocalypse Now came out, but, like, you would have maybe that sort of stage of Marlon Brando where he's, like, I don't give a shit what you want to do on this movie. We're going to do what I want to do. And it would have just fully Yeah, it, it would have been a distraction. In, and it would it could have been, like, it would have had to be like shots of only Kevin Costner sitting on the bench and then just an up close shot of just Marlon Brando's face because he like refused to come on set and like sit next to him or something like that. Yeah, you'd got to catch him between bites of a sandwich. It'd be tough. Oh, man. Come on. Why are you doing like that? Uh, all right. So David Ferry, obviously played by Joe Pesci. Um, I'm going to start with the one that, in my opinion, would have definitely heard it. Um, James Woods. Terrible, terrible casting. Yeah, good call. I, it, that and, character would have not have been lovable at all. Yeah, that's the thing is like James Woods. You know, say what you say, whatever you want. Honestly, about the guy in his personal life, creep, he's though. a fucking crazy creep. But uh, he has talent, but not in the vein of like what this movie would need. Um, at least in his uh, earlier career, like this. Like, I'll, I mean, I. I fucking love Videodrome. I think that movie's awesome, but <laughs> but I would not have seen him in this. Um, okay, next one. I think this one would have been good, and that's hard to say against Joe Pesci, but yeah. Willem Dafoe. Huh. Ah. Uh, no, I like Pesci in this role. He plays it perfectly. I mean, he is. I uh, think it, it would have been a different take on it because. Joe Pesci is like the a good mix of like like angry and just like can go fully neurotic and like Willem Dafoe when he goes angry and neurotic I don't know it it, it seems less like a like Joe Pesci's like he's an everyman and Willem Dafoe like he seems like he's a much more like calculated sort of like conspirator villain I don't know like I mean for Joe Pesci's character going off the rails it's like yeah he has demons but if for Willem Dafoe to take that role on, it's like, no, he is a demon. You know? Exactly. Like, like, it, he seems it's, like it's a more a like, different... refined, like... 
Yeah, and and you don't want that for this. You need like a believable. Okay, this guy's been a semi-operative for all of his years. He's losing his mind, and he's dying from cancer, and he's worried about this conspiracy leaking out. And whereas Willem Dafoe, it's just it's just not the right mix. I mean, I love Willem Dafoe. Uh, shout out, but uh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I think he's great. Uh, this last one, I think, would take Willem Dafoe almost to a next level, and what we think wouldn't have worked, and that's John Malkovich. John Ooh. Malkovich as play. Bertrand, I could see. John Malkovich is David Ferry, not as much. Entertain a Malkovich on that. I think like he's got the frailty and like he can play frail and human and flawed really well on top of like being egomaniacal. Like I, I just, that's not I, a bad fit. I just see him as too much as like an almost like Machiavellian, where like. Joe Pesci's character was more like a, a piece of the machine rather than the person working the gears themselves. Okay, um, yeah, I can see that. I can um, see that. Which I do love, not not anything against like um, Midwest sort of things, but John Malkovich, like it, I think I may have even asked you this on the pod. If I were to ask you where John Malkovich went to college, where would you say? Uh, somewhere in Illinois. That's true. He went to Illinois State. Uh, oh, <laughs> but, from normal. Okay. But like, I always thought I'm like, this dude's like a Yale or like a Harvard or like a U Chicago guy. I'm like, no, he's just Illinois State. He's just a regular old dude. Um, but uh, okay. Now moving into the man himself, Jim Garrison, played by Kevin Costner. Okay, now I'm curious. Yeah. Who had um, been, I think, like I said, Dances with Wolves had come off. He just come off Dances with Wolves when he made this movie. So that is another thing that like catapulted this movie into making so much money. Um, but um, I'm going to start with the first one that I think would have been a terrible decision. Uh, Mel Gibson. Terrible decision. Jesus Christ, that's terrible. I mean, because he's like, he's like lethal weapon at this yeah, point. Yeah, right he now. hasn't even done a serious movie yet. Yeah, <laughs> like he's done like lethal weapon, which like he's good in. Like he's great for that role. Braveheart is still a few years away. I'm know? like just picturing him doing like a southern accent. I don't know if no. I've ever seen oh, Mel Gibson God. do a southern no. accent. No, no. Let's just let's just erase that from the internet. <laughs> Which goes on to the next one. I don't know if I've ever seen this person do a southern accent either. But uh, the other choice was Harrison Ford. Which I like Harrison Ford. But I feel like he just would have been like, I'm not doing an accent. <laughs> Also, I'm not shooting in New Orleans. It's too hot. God damn it. Uh, he would have been good. He he probably he could have done this better than Costner, like if he actually wanted to. Or it just could have been a a classic, like, you know, clear and present danger. I'm getting paid. Like, let's let's throw that. Let's throw some great, let's color my hair a little bit so it's not totally gray. And let's go. Which, uh, again, I, I just realized this on Garrison. Um, so, obviously, we said James Woods. Stone, that was Stone's first pick. To, Stone, Jesus. Stone's first pick to play David Ferry was James Woods. Uh, James Woods said, no, I want to play Jim Garrison. And he said, no, I'm not going to have you play Garrison. Which I was like, okay, Oliver, that was a good choice. Damn right. Because James Woods, like, you know what? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't want to see James Woods do a um, Southern accent, but I can believe that James Woods is a workaholic who doesn't give a shit about his wife and kids. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We saw that in Casino. <laughs> that's true. So, 
Um, With Joe Pesci. <laughs> oh, true. Uh, so yeah, that and then just some other production notes um, that I thought was just really cool um, in this. They took, they actually restored Dealey Plaza for this movie to oh, redo scenes. Cool. They spent four million dollars of the uh, movie's production budget to restore Dealey Plaza for like. I guess there's a lot of scenes in Dealey Plaza, um, but just that one scene. I guess there's flashbacks with Lee Harvey Oswald, but that one big scene um, with Kevin Costner and the assistant DA uh, recreating the shots, they paid $50,000 just to use the actual depository for that scene. Uh, that building's owner got happy as a pig in shit on that. Uh, they, he knew they the whole lot of that. Negotiated for five months, it says, to finally use that. Christ. <laughs> um, and then uh, just some fun real-life facts, uh, which are also tying in with Hollywood. So we mentioned Jim Garrison. I don't know if you wanted to go more in on this guy for, like, his real life. Yeah, because you mentioned he's a piece of shit. Uh-huh. I mean, he's a piece of shit. I mean, he's New Orleans DA and also a crank. But uh, uh, do you, So he, like I mentioned, he said at the end of the movie, I'm going to run again. He did. He won. Um, he, do you know, um, how, okay, so he was the DA until 1978, I want to say, 1970s. Um, do you know who he lost his reelection campaign to? Who? The lounge singer, actor, and attorney himself. Harry Connick Sr. No shit. Oh, <laughs> man. New Orleans is great. <laughs> Just like, yeah, we, we, that, that guy's singing in the club. He's our DA now. Um, I also thought it was funny that uh, he, in 1973, so that would have been like, what, three, five years after this movie, he actually got put on trial, Jim Garrison uh-huh. did, for uh-huh. uh, accepting bribes to protect illegal pinball machine operations which is such a like old timey like new orleans thing i can think of i am shocked that a public official in new orleans would be accused of taking bribes on anything now he was found not guilty um oh. he acted as his own defense attorney baller uh, move he said they were baseless and they were concocted as a part of the u.s government effort to destroy him because of his efforts to implicate the CIA in the Kennedy assassination. Hey, man, only time will tell on that one. Well, you know what? It worked on the jury because they found him not guilty. They're like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, so I, that was I thought just some fun um, production notes. Um, I think everyone in this movie has since... Um, has, oh, and he was in this movie, too. Um, he. Uh, oh, really? He had a cameo? He was a cameo as a Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren on TV. Oh. Like when they had that little thing, that was Jim Garrison. Oh, okay. What an ugly son of a bitch. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, any other any other thoughts on this movie? Any other insults you want to hur- hurl my way from my score? Uh, uh, no, but you'll be getting a very heated uh, letter from me in the next three to five <laughs> days, Joe. No, no, I think it's a great movie. I think if you haven't seen JFK and you've got a night built into like watch a movie that's going to be like a full experience just dive in like it's fun like 
Uh, yes. Yeah, the cast man. is great, and uh, the music's awesome. The editing is really innovative, and it holds up to this day. It's been it's been bastardized and reproduced so many times over that it doesn't seem like anything fresh. But like, if you can like uh, just put yourself back in time, it's awesome. Also, uh, uh, shout out to Dale Die who plays General Y, like some shadowy like defense establishment figure, played by Dale Die, the Dale Die, the guy who is turned an industry of making the military look realistic in Hollywood <laughs> and on TV. He's just an awesome actor. Uh, love it. So, but nothing beyond that, man. Yeah. So this movie, uh, you will have to set aside three hours. It is a good length of a movie. Um, but if you have a Roku, it is available for free on the Roku channel. So uh, you can watch that. Uh, but other than that, um, from Spencer and myself, remember, never talk to the cops, never go to law school, and none of this is legal advice. This time, baby, I'm-